You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So yeah, I mean this, but this is the coolest thing. I'm like, I'm a big cinematic rock fan and sci-fi nerd. So like, this is, I was saying like last night, this is like, has the three pillars I love, which is like really heavy moments in rock music, orchestral music, and then electronic elements. So having like that trifecta is really important. This is, this band is like the perfect playground to explore that world. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman, and I'm here with my compatriots, Corey Pays and Siobhan Cronin. Uh, and this week we have the last member. We've collected them all of Star Set, the brand new to the band. He's not like a baby or anything, but his name's Corey Juba, and he's an incredible... Uh, I don't want to just call him a keyboard p- player and relegate him to that realm. You're just going to have to listen to all the multifaceted things that he does. What do you guys think about it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's awesome. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's got a great story about how he got involved in music, so definitely listen for that in here. Cool story about how he got into Star Set. This is really kind of the the full spectrum of his experiences in music and getting into where he is today, so. Yeah, it really does feel like, you know, with our powers combined, we have every member of Star Set. I feel like we've reached some new plane of existence at this point. That's right, like, there's, it's there's like There's nowhere Pokemon. else to go. <laughs> if I need to make another band, I know that I can just go back to this LinkedIn-like experience with all these Star Set members and put together a super group. That's right. <laughs> right. So anyway, here we go, part one with Corey Juba right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here, as always, with my cohorts and my Lost Symphony bandmates, Benny Goodman and Corey Peza. And this week, I am super excited to finish the the star set. I don't even know what you call it when you get the seventh one. It's it's not the trilogy, but anyway, the the final member of Star Set who just joined, Corey Juba, my good friend now. It's been great to get to know you on the road and touring and playing shows, and I'm really excited that you are joining us finally on the podcast so that everyone can get to know you a little better. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. We were just talking before we started about how uh, you spell your name correctly, and I appreciate that. <laughs> It's relieving, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think we were saying people get too crazy with the spellings of Corey. There's K's and extra I's and E's. Oh, K's. Just, I haven't even heard that. Just okay. unnecessary. Keep it simple. <laughs> it Do you have people mispronounce your, your last name a lot, Corey? Yeah, probably once a day. I hope I didn't just mispronounce it. I guess I never officially asked you how you say it. I just... It's it's Juba. Okay. What do people say? Huba? I get the Huba a lot. I get a, a Yuba. Uh, Jabba, I get that. I've heard that quite a bit. Yeah, Jubba. I asked that because I called Corey Peza Corey Paza for the first like I think twelve years that I knew him. So <laughs> considering you both have names yeah. Corey spelled C O R Y, and then four uh, you know four letter last names that people could easily mispronounce for long periods of time, I did. I feel like you guys have a lot in common. We're we're kindred <laughs> spirits right here. Yeah. Eight <laughs> letters it captures everything. <laughs> I have a small signature though, which is nice, especially when there's. What are seven you ta- your signature is is growing by the day. We're on an acoustic tour right now for anyone that's watching, and you know, part of the second half of our our show time is we go around and talk to all the fans, which is has been really fun. But I'm always seeing how people's signatures are taking up more and more real estate on whatever piece of clothing or flag or whatever. And by the time they get around to me, I'm like, oh, okay, Corey is now <laughs> the main signature on this page. I think I'm the only person in the band who actually writes out their name. Everyone else does like an S and a squiggle or Brock will do like the B squiggle. Some people yeah. don't even. That's because you're the least famous person in the band. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, but I think it's because you have the perfect letter of like number of letters. Like it's, I think it's convenient for you to do your whole name. For me, if I had to do the whole thing, it's just a huge pain. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Right. <laughs> So anyway, I guess we'll jump in. Obviously, you know, everyone listening, hopefully now you know that uh, Corey is a member of Starset, but um, let's jump in and talk about how you got into music and some of your early exposure and early influences. You're a multi-instrumentalist and songwriter, and 
um, mm-hmm. you know, great performer. So tell us a little bit about how you got started and, you know, some of your early uh, exposure to music. Yeah, sure. who are you? Yeah, I don't yeah, In okay. other words, who are you? <laughs> um, well, so I come from a musical family, first and foremost. And like, a, especially on my dad's side, it was a huge family. We had like, he had nine siblings. Oh my so God. They all, well, most of my uncles played music in like varying capacities. My dad was a drummer and a singer and guitarist. So that's definitely like the initial exposure. But then I, like, you know, I didn't really appreciate it young. Like I had like an awareness of what kind of music vaguely was. And it was just something that I thought my uncles did when they got together. I didn't know that you can pursue this for real. So, and then I like, well, yeah, we'd see them at holidays and they all play, play guitar together. And I thought it was like mesmerizing and cool. Was this nine people playing guitar together? Cause that sounds No, 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 that'd be awesome. No, I mean, yeah, probably horrible. (laughs) He says awesome, I say, oh my gosh. (laughs) No, no, it was like, you know, like three and they knew how to play together. So it was kind of interesting. but then, like, yeah, nothing really resonated until I have this very distinct first memory of, like, becoming online and, like, becoming aware that music was possible. And I was on uh, in the car with my dad uh, uh, where we grew up in Westlake, Ohio, and Rush's Spirit of the Radio came on. And it's, like, this super prog song. If you don't know it, you should listen to it. The intro is, like, this really flange, like, arpeggiated guitar. And it was so cool. And then it comes in with this drum fill that, like, still... I can't dissect all the way. Um, but I remember hearing like when this riff kicks in, I was like, I couldn't believe it. And then like the song goes through journeys where it's like really heavy. And then there's like a reggae breakdown and then, you know, epic solo. So that sort of like lit the fire and I started getting obsessed uh, with like Prague. <laughs> and I guess I, I, I picked up the guitar and then really didn't take it seriously until I was about 13 and I had a really bad skateboarding accident and didn't walk for like a year and a half. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, And then it was like the perfect time to like, you know, bury myself in an instrument. And I was self-taught for basically everything I do. Now we didn't, like we kind of have resources like YouTube and stuff. But I remember like going on websites and listening to like Metallica and finding out tabs and how to dissect tabs. And then that started like the whole journey. Encyclopedia Metallica and Psych Met. Anyone remember that one? Yes, I do. That, that, that's how that. I learned how to play guitar. <laughs> yeah, I owe so much to that, really. Um, and then, yeah, there was like, I just mentioned this the other day, there was like a three-year window where I only listened to Metallica and like dissected the entire discography and got super into it. And then I saw like S&M, which blew my mind that like a like a heavy band was playing with orchestras. And that was kind of like the first I got to see this, um, like those bridges cross successfully. And that was really cool. Uh, yeah, and then I got into eventually much heavier and heavier music and tuning my guitar down. And then uh, not until like recently-ish, I mean like eight years ago now, but I, I started going down the rabbit hole of synthesis and synthesizers and like burying myself in that. And that totally like was a massive paradigm shift on how I understood sound in general and shaping tones and drum sounds even. And then I got into mixing and that like, you know, kind of took me into like the audio engineer world, which I know Brock cares about quite a bit too. So oh, I love these nerd- guys do too. I know that you and other Corey can nerd out about that. <laughs> oh, God, I'm, I'm, now, I'm other Corey now. <laughs> well, I mean, God I guess if it. we're talking about the guest of the show, you're other Corey at the moment. <laughs> I'm always sitting in front of like $10,000 of keyboards, but hey, like, no, no sweat. I, never- <laughs> I used to bad. have more. I used to have more. But like whatever, Siobhan, ignore me for Corey and his geekiness. No, 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 no. I We'll talk I about each one of the words at length if you want to. I would be so happy to do that. I mean, yeah, our, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's I let's make sure we keep our let's keep our listeners for at least like thirty minutes before okay, we yeah, actually yeah, lose yeah, everyone. Right, yeah, we're about idea. to lose Ben because we're not talking about his keyboards. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, I've been wanting to talk about the NS two thousand B for at least thirty episodes, and no one's mentioned it yet. So let's go. So what was what was the what was your introduction to the synthesizer world and and how did that kind of what was that catalyst? Definitely. Well, I was like aware of what they were, of course, and like I love the sounds, but it never like felt approachable. It's kind of intimidating, really. Like there's so much to learn, and when you look at these machines, they look like you know spaceships, especially cool analog synths. Um, But I worked uh, at this company. It was a guitar effects company called Earthquake Devices for a long time. And a lot of those people uh, are also fellow synth nerds. So you'll find out like people who really get geeky about guitar pedals are often into the synth world as well. 
And they kind of like, I was circling the drain for a long time around since like looking from the outside, they eventually pushed me in and I'm glad they did because like, you know, it opened up this a million doors and like changed the whole way I think about music uh, and sound in general. And then like, of course I should, it goes without saying, but I'm a definite gearhead, like both analog and digital world. I can talk music, software and hardware all day. So if we want to open that can can do that after after 30 minutes so we hit the youtube algorithm and before we lose all our listeners yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we'll, uh... <laughs> well but let's let's fill in some of the gaps because that's i mean that was kind of a great arc of your your history in music but uh, so talking about your family i mean were your parents or your uncles were they doing music for a career like at what point were you did you join a band like at what point were you performing or doing this like actively beyond just a personal study sure. uh well, yeah, my dad did it like semi-professionally. He had a, a music video on MTV, which I thought was pretty cool, um, and playing drums in it. And I remember like these just memories, like growing up, like being around the house. My mom with, would with what band? It was called The Set, and it was like a U, very U two sounding sort of band. Um, uh, yeah, it was just super funny to see. But uh, the like, yeah, like there was so much music in the house, of course. And my mom was always singing out loud, and my dad was, of course, doing the same thing. So I was just surrounded by it. So like it became an upbringing and I never thought about pursuing it professionally ever really like all the way through school and even through college, I didn't do a single music thing. It was always like a personal hobby. Um, I guess I can kind of like fill in the gaps of when I like changed professionally. This is kind of an interesting story is like um, I, I went to school for medicine in Carnegie Mellon in, in Pittsburgh and it is not a musical school to say the least. It's a very tech heavy school, which is cool. But um, yeah, I was like buried in like bio lab reports and fine art projects and stuff. And I always brought my guitars with me and I would like set it up um, in my little dorm room and basically just be doing like sweep arpeggios forever and annoying a lot of people. And this is like 2009. This is like when YouTube started to become a thing. Um, like actually like a good resource. And, and I put up these covers with my friend and um, uh, Eric, who, uh, and like, this is how the Sahaj thing happened, by the way. Okay. So um, we we would like upload these like covers of the songs to YouTube, one of them being a raw song. And then uh, it- Do you it, call uh, my name? Yeah, him. So it, he, he noticed it and like reached out to us. And like, we kind of started saying like, we wanted to work together and do this for real. And then long story short, got a record deal and uh i said let's pursue this so yeah i mean that's that's like i kind of took a leap of faith there and i i guess i've been doing music ever since wow well so elaborate on that so you so what happened from there did and where were you in school like did, did you leave uh, school did you finish school so that, yeah good question so i guess like let me back up like a big part of my life story is like right in the beginning of school i got the phone call which is a very difficult call of course and it was the call that my dad had stage four cancer oh my and god being the like the focus uh like the musical center of my life that was really you know difficult and i was away from home so he ended up passing away uh, a little over a year after that obviously like we were a very close family just me my mom my dad and my sister so that was you know enormously difficult to deal with and at the same time this like this youtube recognition thing happened um so i was torn i was like you know i was in a really really good school pursuing like a very lucrative career i wanted to be a surgeon frankly and i was kind of lost i didn't know what to do because you have one you're like this great opportunity to like pursue something that's i guess more stable Granted, there's like, you know, I'd be in school till I'm in my 40s to pull this off. But like that was like, you know, a definite sure career path. And then one that was like a big gamble. Like, you know, I'm, I'm why would I turn my back on on school to pursue something so risky? And I talked to a lot of people about it and I got mixed reviews. Some people were like, you know, like pursue academia. This is important. You should do this. Do your music later. I always heard that. Like, oh, like once you, you can do play your music when you're a doctor, then that's, you know, that's kind of a silly and short-sighted way to look at it um but my mom uh of course was like gave and still does like unconditional support and she's like it kind of frank, frankly said if you don't do this your dad's gonna roll over <laughs> which i thought was funny so basically i had the support from my family from the get-go which probably is responsible for you know my pursuing all of this so 
I said, yeah. And I went on a really rough tour in a van, like as you do and you start and, you know, not sleeping, driving for 20 hours and spending way more money than you're making. And I did that for years. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, um, I, I took a more of a position at Earthquaker and like started becoming a product manager and getting in the gear world and the studio side of things and producing artists and then didn't really consider touring. I played like a you know a million shows in between then as one off some like small runs, but didn't really consider consider touring fully until after COVID with Star Set. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah, but, it, it, it is a crazy story. Yeah. yeah. Well, it shows how like unpredictable things can be. And I mean, it's I totally agree with you. I mean, you have to Music is not something that's easy to do alongside other things. I I think if you're going to make success in it, you definitely have to kind of go all in and well, especially I, I as like, long as you can. But go ahead, Ben. I like the pursuit of selfish acts because like, you know, being a keyboard player is completely useless for anything other than yourself and self and indulgence, uh, mindless self-indulgence, actually. Uh, whereas <laughs> being a surgeon, you could have saved lives. You could have helped, uh, you know, people live better. So I, I think it's great that you decide just to be creative instead of helpful. I, I I hope you're being facetious. I'm like, being totally facetious. Well, I think it's, like, I think that's, that's great. Honestly, no, yeah, I, yeah. I I I say that completely facetiously because it's one of those things where a lot of people would say like, why wouldn't you be a surgeon if you were so good and you could have done like why would you? Whereas for me, I think the fact that you actually did pursue what you wanted to like, there's something about doing what you want on your own terms, even if it means starving in a van and spending more money than you have than doing what everyone else thinks that you should do. Right. That, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I do think though, you know, arguably music's helped me more than anything. So like, if I'm, I'm thinking of doing this, like I want to create something that like gives me that same feeling I had when I was young and like feel inspired to create and feel inspired to make something. So that like I try to foster that. And frankly, that's kind of hard to do with performing sometimes. I'm I'm to be frank, I'm much more of like a studio hibernating, love being in the laboratory and experimenting kind of person than like going out there. I didn't want to like my pursuit wasn't to be like a famous rock guy. Like I just wanted to like have the capacity to make music at like a really high level. Um yeah. So Yeah, I know that's an interesting divide though, because yeah, once you get into the world of touring, it is a lot. I mean, there are ways that you're kind of stripped of your creativity because it becomes in some ways more like a day job of like, okay, now we're gonna do this thing that we created a while ago and spin it for the next two months and a lot of hustling and talking to people and like a lot of business engagement beyond just like you know the music is almost a small part of the day in a lot of cases but being in star set and not wanting to be a performer is like saying you want to be in vaudeville but not not knowing how to you know flat well, ball change the star set thing like is only you have to understand like when you're 20 years old you're not thinking of like touring like this level like the reality is you're getting in a van with your friends and you're very sweaty and frustrated and playing to no one playing to the sound guy and the band before you wait when was that because that was like last week for me yeah it's okay yeah well that's the thing but, here, but Siobhan made a good point and I want like so when you tell people you're touring they often like romanticize it like it's all they see the cool photos and like they think like that's all of it and you know it's like that is like a very short window where you're celebrating the actual music of the day. The rest of the time, especially when you're younger and like in an upcoming band, you're you're a t-shirt salesman, you're a driver, you're you're you know like you're dealing with logistics and like figuring out how to get to the next place, where you're going to sleep, and you play your 30 minute set is like just a short short window of the day, and the rest is just other types of suffering. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and I mean that's one thing that I was fascinated to hear about because I mean as a string player, I was spoiled in the sense that like I oh, only yes. came around when people had enough budget to afford string players, right? But I always love hearing the stories of the even in Starset when it was just the four guys and like barely even having a, a stable sound guy, you know, just driving around. And you're totally right. I mean, by the time people see you and they find out what you do and they see kind of all of the big production stuff, there's so many years before that of grinding speaking of all that can you talk about you know your entrance into star set because obviously we we knew siobhan for years and we were familiar with the band and we knew all the guys and then you being the latest addition uh sure um could i could i dovetail on that question before you go into it because i want you to know that i told siobhan before you existed that i wanted this position but i didn't <laughs> know what dustin what dustin needed because the thing is it's not about playing keyboards because ron can fix a bus ron can speak other languages <laughs> yeah, so is, like if you play bass it, that's like the 17th thing on his list so i kept trying i cut my hair this way 
Um, I did all kinds of things to try to uh, attract Dustin with my with my keyboard dances, but nothing nothing was it. So I'm actually sort of curious as well. Like, what other talents did you bring to the table besides sweet picking? Um, you know that that was essential. That wasn't to being my a question, player. but thanks for thanks for dovetailing on that. <laughs> the dovetailing then convoluting and turning it into his own question. <laughs> you cut your hair to, to peacock for well, I'm, I'm a bald white guy. So I must have gotten pretty good playing to do that. So, okay. Uh, well, I guess like first and foremost, we're all, m- most of us are from Ohio. The Most of the bands from Columbus, I'm from Cleveland. So I'm about like two and a half hours north um, by the lake. And so I guess like we have the Ohio thing, which is very important. Uh, but we've known each other for a long time. So Dustin and I used to tour together, both in different bands respectively growing up. So that band, that's how like how also, you, you know, um, we know Sahaj and Dustin and I because of this like interaction. So yeah, we were two together in separate bands for a while and then stayed in touch over the years and collaborated on a few things in different ways. And then COVID happened and obviously nothing musical was going on. And when music started to reemerge again, at least the possibility of touring again, this is when the record horizons was about to come out. And I remember I was in British Columbia on a hike and I got a call from Dustin. And when he calls you, there's a reason <laughs> you know you definitely want something so uh he basically said yeah like you know this new record horizons coming out and i think the breach had just been released the music video for that which i love that song by the way i think it's my favorite song off the record and it's a very polarizing track um but uh i remember getting the call and he said we want to take horizons on the road and do uh have a lot more um like a deliberate effort to make the band more live and he knows i play a lot of guitars and since and like he's seen me do this over the years like posting on instagram and videos and youtube and stuff like that so he knew like what my playing was and he said we really want to make this band a lot more live and engaging and you're first on the list if you want to do it so the idea was like we would get we would do like one tour as a trial and see how we matched and see how it worked and how i fit in and i hung up that phone call and i said okay i guess i'll change my whole life now so I got off uh, of that uh, trip, went home, and basically started like deconstructing uh, the four records. Um, so yeah, like all the transmission stuff, which I've been familiar with for a while, then Vessels Divisions, and then the new record Horizons, which had not been released yet. So I started thinking about like how I would approach these songs, and then like basically doing all the sound design to recreate the album sounds live, and programming all these patches uh, for. It was a tour last fall, so it was like. When was that? It was kind of like, you know, basically the end of October through. Yeah, it was around, yeah, fall, winter time. Um, And the idea was like, let's give it for this tour for a trial run and see how it goes. And I think by like the second or third show in, Dustin and Ron were like, you're, you're, you're in, you're full time. This is not negotiable. (laughs) Of course they asked me, but like, you know, they were pretty adamant about it. So like, it it was like a, it fit, felt really good right away. And I think I meshed well with everyone. especially Zine Savan because I didn't re- I knew Adam and Brock for, for a little bit before this but uh, I really got along with uh, Zine Siobhan which has been funny because we all make really terrible jokes so now <laughs> I, I guess like uh, yeah so that's kind of how it started and it's been it's been over a year now just over a year so uh, I, it's been awesome yeah let me ask you when, when Dustin called you what I mean what sort of path were you on at that point because you mentioned you know you're, you're going to change your whole life he was around. on a hiking path well <laughs> besides the hiking path of course like where what what was going on in your mind of like your your future for the next few years when he called you uh well i've always had like been basically saving and like figuring out my what i wanted to do to build a studio like a proper one and not like have a converted bedroom which has always been the case right like how how can i like re-outfit this place and treat it to so it's an acceptable listening environment um so anyways like so that was like a goal that i'm like still actually finishing now which is great um, but at the t- time I had been like most of my time had spent been managing this pedal company, which is awesome, but it started to grind and it's like not, it's not always creative. There are creative moments, but a lot of time you're just like running a company and you're having to deal with like 55 different personalities. So I was starting to look at like other things I wanted to pursue that would be more creatively fulfilling and looking like post COVID, I, I, a new mer- music would like reemerge in a really cool way, but I didn't think I'd be performing again, it, like at least in this rock band. I do a lot of like, I'm a big jazz nerd, so I love playing like fusion and stuff with with friends and like producing artists. So that was kind of like my initial intention was like, how can I 
do this more at home and like have be more in control of my free time instead of like this like, day job. So that was like my initial intention. And this kind of like fell into place at a really cool time where now I have, I'm much more in control of my time and have that afforded to me to, you know, pursue things creatively. So yeah, that's sort of like the, it really was aus- very auspicious timing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Cause I would have made a big change either way. Like by the end of the year, I would have done you know something different. So this is really cool. Yeah. Well, I'm not really sure what you're doing live, but I have to say that I've seen Star Set many a time. And the last time that we came and we saw you for the first, uh, for me for the first time, you guys sounded ridiculous. And like it, it sounded almost fake to me. Your sound guy, who's a friend of uh, one of my buddies who runs a studio, sounded in like his front of house was so ridiculous in the first place. But then the performance was amazing. And then your addition, I mean, look, Star Set screams for sound design. Like, well, of course, there's sound design. Like, press a button, a keyboard, uh, and and it goes perfectly along with all the lighting and all of that. So it's funny that you say that you're not, you're, you like to be in a studio, but it's like, hey, now you're on Broadway, dude. Yeah, and I really, <laughs> don't get me wrong, like when, when I'm at home, I'm like strapping on the guitar and like cranking the PA and opening it up and like doing flips in my room. So I try to like rein it, rein it in a little bit. Like I, I don't have that like, you know, arena fantasy, which is really cool. But I do, people like, really comment on it like when i go live i'm really jumping around and i'm on a, this small riser like a six by six riser and i think i use every square inch of that thing. <laughs> absolutely no absolutely because when we're doing the live show i'm on your side of the stage and i every time i look over i'm like what is going on over there <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I really and I'm but it jug- really is no go ahead go ahead i'm just i mean yeah i'm juggling a lot and like flipping around and like facing different ways and tossing on a guitar and I, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's, no, it's a high. Pre- I was going to comment. I mean, it's you have a high pressure position for sure because it's it is way more than just like we need a synth player or something. It's like you had to program everything and integrate it so that you can trigger the tracks in a way that triggers everything else and like flipping instruments and changing patches. And I mean, as someone that went to music school and got a master's, I'm still working on figuring out sound design with synthesizers and like how to use Ableton and how to like connect a MIDI controller. <laughs> how many how many patches do you go through in a, in a, in a set, in a show? Uh, it's like uh, upwards of 85 now or so. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like and a And then blast. of course you have your guitar yeah. when you're doing any of the guitar parts. You have your, your pedals and you know all sorts of other stuff that you're dealing with on that front. So it's a lot yeah. of choreography. Uh, oh, that's another thing. Yeah, like choreography. People, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that was the hardest part at first. Is it's not so much the playing. No offense. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, we're playing rock songs. There's fun. There's like difficult moments, but a lot of it was like figuring out the jumps I need to make and the choreography of like I need to play this part and then like in the space between the next downbeat flip to the Moog and then do something and then like or get my guitar on so that was like the hardest part to get those sort of things fluid and automating what I can but then like trying to avoid tap dancing on like you know pedals and stuff like that (laughs) it's that's always the, the challenge and then like you know like that's just the playing when you have strobe lights in your face and your like your ears are falling out and you're like you you lasers are flying anywhere that was also like another layer of complexity that's like oh god (laughs) it's not just doing it like in a in like a sterile environment you're doing it live and there's fog everywhere and things are you can't hear yourself like so you know every day is different what was the 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 last uh live performance situation you had before uh, touring with Star Set. Um, well, it was like through COVID, so it wasn't much going on in terms well, of. Fitness, but like, but I mean, just in general, like, what was the last time you were on a stage, like playing playing jazz tunes with like fusion tunes with you know some friends and like other musicians and so a big juxtaposition of you know <laughs> that to yeah, I haven't done yeah. like rock touring in in yeah. a few year like at least five years before this so yeah so yeah i mean this but this is the coolest thing I'm like I'm a big cinematic rock fan and sci-fi nerd so like this is. I was saying like last night, this is like has the three pillars I love, which is like really heavy moments in rock music, orchestral music, and then electronic elements. So having like that trifecta is really important. This is this band is like the perfect playground to explore that world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's plenty going on, but well, I mean, I, I, I have to say it's pretty. It is pretty amazing because it's it's one of those things, and I've seen you with with the uh, the acoustic performances, but also the big arena stuff that. It is a really great integration of like strings and stuff where like most people are using patches or whatever. But meanwhile, there's two like 
unbelievable Jedi level players actually playing them. And then the thing is like, yeah, you could be replaced completely by an iPod. But it's like, no, Dustin, he wouldn't have that. He wants the monkeys dancing. So he's going to get a guy who knows how to program DMX 512 protocol into Ableton with all the MIDI stuff and then get it all sunk up with redundant laptops and the whole nine because you don't want that to happen where you lose your laptops <laughs> and you can't possibly play the show. So they get, they're like, let's get Corey. Let's, let's get this guy. He can play Fusion. Of course he can play rock keyboards. And then here you are. It's amazing. I mean, honestly, you, you sounded so good live. But to think that you play like Fusion with your laptop band that makes me happy because it's like of course you did yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> speaking of lost laptops yes i was i saw the ptsd like arising it's like <laughs> <laughs> this was a, a quick anecdote is we it was the last show of the the big arena tour we did with breaking benjamin earlier this year and i so yeah it was we were like we it was that show and before it and i was rehearsing because we went straight into a headline tour so i was kind of like i brought my laptop and my keyboard onto the bus to like basically like get ready for the, the big tour we went straight into it well about two or three hours before the the big finale show um i was in the the back lounge of our bus and i had a water bottle and i nicked the water bottle on the edge of the table and it fell onto my keyboard went on the, like my computer typing keyboard went into the fans and fried the entire motherboard this is the show computer it's <laughs> what i use everything with um so i'm panicking uh and i'm like well i'm trying to dry it off and rip off the back and i'm like like taking out the ram and i'm like blowing into all like the peripherals trying to like air dry this the best i could it's totally fried. It's still useless. To this day, it's a brick. Um, so I, 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 I ran to Shivana and was like, please, can I try to use your laptop? And I'm like, and she's like, of course. So like, I'm trying to download these patches and reinstall these instruments and like get this, like the last file I backup I had, which was there, but you know, it takes, these are like, multi, you know, tens of gigabytes of sounds and patches and programming to even get it running. And I made do, but it was very rough. And ever since, the, oh, so then I went to go buy a new MacBook. So I like searched everywhere. And this is the time when like the chip shortage was really bad and you couldn't go to new, new Mac, like Apple MacBook every, anywhere. So I had to like order one and it took months and yeah, it really sucked. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know what it's like to lose a laptop before your big finale arena show. That, so that does suck. Well, I was, I'm, I'm curious about it because do, have you guys seen the headlines about this band falling in reverse that I had never even heard of before, but they had to pull out of Aftershock or something because their laptop got stolen or something and they didn't have a backup laptop. So they're like, yeah, man, sorry. Not uh, having a laptop's like not having an engine in your car. And everyone was like giving them the hardest time because they're like, what? You know, and then they're like, well, but Queen used backing tracks for Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'm like, I, I don't know how I feel about any of this. How do you feel about it, Corey? Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, like, fortunately, I do. We're pretty careful about redundancies. Like now, I have like everything was backed up to the cloud. It's just a more matter of using it. But now that we actually have our computers, I have this one. I have a backup show computer here, and then the main stage computer. So now we have like three layers of things that I can use, and we have to. So and you have to be careful about that. And like we make changes every day. I know like Dustin is very particular about his effects and every room's different. So he's not afraid to like edit the show file for his, you know, vocal chains and like sends and verbs and stuff. So we're constantly like turning over the file and updating it. But if they had to cancel a like a massive festival show for that, that's kind of, well, that's, that's like, why I think it's funny because it's just like, okay, I get that you need to use your laptop. Like Avicii needed to use his laptop too. All right, fair. But you got to think for how much those dudes are getting paid, get a redundant laptop. Figure yeah, it out, bro. Like, well, yeah, really? Are you this they lost? Yeah. They're not a new band either. So I'm like, I wonder how they got this far. Like, our st we are a very tech heavy band with a lot of points of failure and variables. So we know what it's like when things break and we try to protect ourselves against it so much. So the computer is like number one. If that's like the brain of the show, you got to have, you got to be on top of that one. Yeah, Maybe I, there's I, more to it that we don't know, but I don't know. That seems really silly for them to cancel the whole thing. I think I also recently saw um, a friend of our show, Doc Coyle, uh, Bad Wolves uh, had their, their gear go down or something happened with their tracks and they still played the show minus tracks. And they said it was like the first time that they've had to do it and they killed it. So it can be done if you, if uh, you know, you had, you had to adapt and make it happen, but it's uh, it's funny that, that we're re reaching a point in music now where that can be the, the reason for canceling a show, you know, and, and potentially disappointing thousands of fans. It's like, Oh, you know, I forgot to charge my laptop. You know, it went down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we've like, 
So like the thing about us is like we are controlling so much with that yeah. laptop. You know, like I have my own that's separate, that's not the show computer, just from like my own audio stuff and like queuing the actual show. But then it goes to like the main show computer and that's doing all of our video walls and like synchronizing a lot of lights and stuff. So if it goes down, I mean, we could do it. We could. We, I mean, but here's the thing: you guys are on an acoustic tour right now. You guys can play right. the song. You guys can play the songs without a you know a video well, wall. That's the thing it's is, been I, proven. <laughs> I hear nothing about music, and and don't get me wrong, I love the production, and I'm I, I'm a, a glutton for the the lasers, and, and in fact, I think Dustin's brilliant for creating like a, a this incredibly immersive experience, and it's like where music's going as an immersive thing. But as far as music's concerned, you guys can still go on stage plug your keyboard into a PVPA speaker and still play, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we can get through the set for sure. Like, yeah. the, the actually, the, the difficult thing about like, me, for me specifically, which is tough, is because I need, like, doing 85-plus patches in the, over the course of our headline set. Um, my stuff's automated. Like, I'm not changing the patches manually because I'm, like, playing the parts. Mm -hmm. So if I go down, that means I don't get to actually like change my patch. So I got like surf on something on one sound, which can be done. I do it on the Moog a lot, but the yeah, that's usually the, the default. Is We've like, heard the same story from Brock and his Kemper. right the guitarist, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And yeah, yeah, like so, hey, the, the sounds aren't switching. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll figure it out. Like, it just that's sort of the part about tech that you really need to work. Is <laughs> like at can, least can I give you. Can I tell you what I did? So I just joined a band for the first time playing keyboards. I've been playing piano all my life, but I'm terrified of keyboards. So what I did is I only played organ and piano. And I'm going to get two full-size 88 keys. One's going to be organ all the time. And mm -hmm. one's going to be piano all the time. And then I might have a third one that has both organ and piano with like the five different choices. So that if something goes wrong... I can just go over to this this keyboard over here and just yeah, press just just wait and see organ. what your bandmates say when it's time to go on tour. It was yeah. already a fight getting one eighty eight key keyboard on a bus. Well, just the listen, I'm, I'll have to fight with Shannon Larkin to not bring two eighty eight keyboards and and, and a Moog because he doesn't live in reality. He's like, we got to play like <laughs> Spinal Tap. He's gonna be like, how are you gonna play the harpsichord part if you don't have a harpsichord? Which is why I love Shannon. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I feel like it's it is good to have a, like always an eighty eight key piano available. You could use it for anything. Well, so that's that, what's great about violin. I'll say is like you know everybody's getting crazy about we're going to change the tuning. Oh, I need this capo and whatever. I mean, I need a, the Kemper to do this. And for me, it's just like all right, there's a little bit of work to be done in my head or like notation, but then it can be adapted. I have a question for you, Siobhan, But what happens if I if I uh, if you're on the edge of the table? And I take my water and I spill it into your violin and knock over your $50,000 violin. Do you just go get a redundant one at Best Buy and download it from the cloud? No, no, no. But that's something I think about a lot because, I mean, most of the time I'm touring with just the one violin. I mean, there's especially the cello. There's not space for two cellos. But that could happen. Like, I mean, the only thing we can really do is have backup strings or get the bow rehaired right before we leave. You know, but if something were to happen, it. It, yeah, it could be bad. If something were to happen, then Corey's going to add an 86 patch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play fake violin to one that's been yeah, soaked say, in Dustin water. Yeah, they're saying Dustin will literally be like, can you go like this through the whole show? <laughs> like, no one will know. You'll know. Yeah. For while we're on the, the top topic of, of performances and everything, why don't you guys talk a little bit about the tour that you're currently on? Uh, just started, so uh, right. How many how many shows have you done? Is it yeah, we, uh, we. This is our second day off. I think we've done nine or ten shows so far over the period <laughs> yeah. of like ten days. So how's it going? Yeah, it's awesome. I love it because first of all, compared to like the bit live demonstration, the full deal. I have one instrument, and I, I no patch changes, and I'm sitting down. This is great. So this is like for me, way less pressure, barely break a sweat. But it's cool to like. I, my favorite part is playing piano against live strings. I love that. That's like, you know, been a, my favorite thing and like a dream for a long time. So I, that's super enjoyable. Me too. It is I love the that. The best. Um, and like every day is different. Like some days we can hear ourselves better than others, but I like doing it. And it's cool because as opposed to like the big, like full live demonstration we're on tour and there's bigger, like much bigger audiences. We don't have the same time afforded to us to actually like chat with people and like, ha like have an actual conversation instead of just signing something and sending them on their way. So this is, the, they're very intimate, they're very close. And then we get to have some downtime and it just feels like a lot less pressure. So it feels more like an, like a, an informal hang than, than this big, like, you know, massive immersive performance. 
Yeah, and I, I think it really tightens us up as a band too, because I mean, you know, we're all playing acoustic instruments. There's, there's no, I mean, there's minimal effects, and obviously we have the sound guy, but you really have to be careful about everything, your articulation and how tight we are together, and it's just a different acoustic environment. So for me, it's great. I mean, you know, violin and cello were made for acoustic spaces, right? It's it's always more natural to me to play as close to an acoustic setting as possible. Because once you get in-ears and you change the sonic environment, it's, things change. You know, it changes the way you play and what you react to. So I think for us, I mean, just as a band, it's great. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, definitely feel like we're we're working on dynamics and stuff now. And like, we're really tightening up the sorts of transitions and like how we bloom into choruses or bridges. And that's something that we don't get to do on the full electric tour very much. Also, you know, the sonics are way different, but we're totally naked up there and very vulnerable. So it's cool to like work on the songs. Like when we do our sound checks, like we're like, we're trying to rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're rehearsing and like trying to reimagine some things or like, let's try to do this, you know, the verse this way, or like try to do the bridge or steer it this way. And that's super fun. Yeah, no, it, it's been great. And we've like each time, like every day we're working on something new. I mean, we just added a couple new songs that are starting to make their light, you know, in front of people, some of the new Horizon songs. But yeah, it's been great. Well, I love now it. on these tours, you say you're like you're talking to all these people. And I, I've been to some of these shows and the, the people that are into Star Set are in <laughs> the uh-huh. Star Set. And Corey, you're you're new to this universe and i use that term very literal um what's it like to talk to talk to all the the star set fans and how have you been received and is there a a backstory that dustin has given you that has allowed for you to be at these demonstrations no 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 uh i mean it's i've been received really well actually everyone's been like kind of welcoming and no one's like you know screw the keyboards or like like no (laughs) all right like i'm not getting that at all everyone's been really kind and welcoming um but yeah, I mean, like the fans that are coming out are definitely the super fans, which is sweet. And it's interesting to like get to chat with them a bit, but they really love the band. It's really like, you can tell I have, I've had like the same feelings towards bands growing up, but like, it's our, kind of our turn to like, you know, play that role for them. And like, they really have like found meaning in a lot of the music. And like, some people are like getting our names like, t- like tattooed on them and our signatures and stuff. So it's very like powerful. Yeah. No, I talk. I don't know if you talked to this guy yesterday, but he at the last acoustic tour, he had all of us after like four beers try and draw the star logo. And I remember being horrified because he's like, well, I'm going to get this tattooed on my arm. I'm like, are you sure this is a good time to have us freehand draw this? And I saw it. And I mean, it actually turned out pretty good, but it was definitely not symmetrical. And he went with it. And, you know, it was awesome. Like just the level of enthusiasm is crazy. I, I saw this one guy who had like a bunch of leftovers and he had the styrofoam thing and he was like he went up to all of you he was like hey can you sign this styrofoam like leftovers from my burger and uh oh wait a minute that was Corey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this was from the last acoustic tour that might be the most unique piece and it's and it's even framed oh my god you framed it yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's a box yeah. frame of a box. The leftovers in there are really starting to smell bad, but it's worth it. It's <laughs> it's great. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Corey and I are like similar in the sense that we we're such foodies. Like everybody when we have a day off, it's like let's go to like the most generic chain restaurant like Applebee's or Chili's and everyone's so excited to like DoorDash something you could get anywhere. And then we're like what is going on here? Well, there are a million places to go eat, so we're always like commiserating with each other on the like poor choice of food. I can't stress enough how much the, <laughs> this is accurate. The poor choices <laughs> are blowing my mind. Like by also, like, um, we're eating mostly garbage all the time to survive on tour. Don't get me wrong. But, like, on our days off when we have the opportunity, the last thing I want is mac and cheese. I want to get sushi or, like, good pho. Also, I tried to find this, like, I just heard about this amazing, like, the best dumplings in, in Salt Lake. And I was uh-huh. ready. And they're closed. So I can't oh. do that. Oh, well. We'll find something, though. But Yeah, we'll find something afterwards. Yeah, so we're in Salt Lake City today. So All, all I got in Salt Lake City was a nosebleed because the air is so thin there. Yeah, I don't know what elevation. I mean, we're surrounded by mountains, but within the city, you're it's kind of flat. So I, I don't actually know what the elevation is. We're here. like at forty seven hundred feet, but when we were in Colorado, we were you know twenty five hundred feet higher. I think, yeah, I don't know. I like the Rockies. I feel it's also like we were lucked out with the weather, so it's kind of really nice here right now. But yeah, I don't. I don't touring feel, in the summer. Oh my God, yes. 
we had the we had the hottest summer ever. <laughs> did did you talk to them about like people passing out at our shows and like we had ambulances there and Oh yeah, there well oh, that was on the nice. Yeah, the the live shows. There was one venue we played that was in Tennessee somewhere. It wasn't Nashville. It was maybe I don't Knoxville. remember. Knoxville. But they their AC was broken and it was in the middle of the summer. It was probably 100 degrees outside and there were people actually like passing out. And they this was like a routine problem. They were like proud of the fact that people were like experiencing medical problems from heat stroke and I'm like this is <laughs> This is really dangerous and not a good idea. It was really hard to play that show. That sounds like a lawsuit waiting yeah, to happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I know. I, who knows what happened after that. But the acoustic tour has been great. And yeah, I mean, we're only, we're less than two weeks in. So we're, we're heading west right now and we'll head back after that. So can you tell people what the experience is like as far as like, okay, because I mean, obviously going and seeing you with Breaking Benjamin and Seether, thousands of people very different experience than going and seeing you let's say at wally's in hampton beach um what's what's someone going to see if they go and see you guys on this super fan kind of experience Ooh, sean answer that one i well i mean it's definitely more up close it's more you know as dustin likes to say it's kind of behind what the fourth wall you know it's like when you go see the live demonstration it's you know we're eclipsed by costume and a lot of amplification and production and stuff. And I mean, this is really like, you know, ask any question and we'll answer it. And, you know, the songs are about as raw as they can get. Like it, it's, yeah, it's very, very vulnerable in a lot of ways. And, you know, of course this whole second half of the event is just talking and hanging out and getting to know people and having them ask you any and every question. So it's like a totally different access point. You know, it's, it's, I think people enjoy it equally. I mean, almost everyone that I've talked to say that they like both the main yeah. demonstrations as well as these just for different reasons. Yeah, I, I've heard that too. People are like, really, really do value this, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's the same thing. Like this is like the, the coolest opportunity where you can actually like sit with us and hang out and you, you hug band members. <laughs> we, we have like this wheel. We'd like, that's kind of fun. Like every, you know, we like do raffles and stuff like throughout the set. And we call ticket numbers and you can come up and spin the wheel. And, uh, the wheel has like, you know, varying prizes or not so fun prizes. And like, or you can like ask a question, you win tickets to the next show. Um, you can hug a band member, get you know selfie with Ernie and do all this fun stuff. So yeah, it's, it's like Siobhan said, it's the perfect way to actually get to hang and meet us and not in the chaos of a full demonstration and get to like see us as, as the naked humans we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. When you are putting uh, putting this 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 set together, the acoustic set, um, you know you're taking all these layers of production and boiling them down into a piano. Uh, what what's your process for that? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I, had a, I had a lot of fun like kind of doing some of the piano arrangements, especially for the the Horizon songs. They're really really well arranged, um, just in the nature of their production. So it was fun to kind of like deconstruct courses and make little things. Um, like Carnivore is an example where there's like a pretty, like very prominent synth line in like the pre-chorus. And I adapted that to piano. And I know like Siobhan kind of does a unison with me on that. And that's been really fun. I think it's it's one of the cool parts, like where piano stuff's not written. For like example, like this bridge of Otherworldly, there was really nothing there. Um, so we got to basically sit down and kind of like construct ways that we wanted to tackle it. So it depends on the song. Some of them kind of lend themselves to natural like acoustic arrangement like halo is like a ballady type song so there wasn't much different than the original song and like it has begun but uh for some of the heavier stuff it's been fun to kind of like you know totally approach it differently and i i just love kind of like writing piano parts and kind of like building interesting chords and actually this is the thing i was talking to z about which is it's very different like you to look at these songs like if it was like a solo piano piece it'd be much busier and much more colorful chords and stuff but when you have to play against a guitar a bass and then two strings that are always doing different things you have to serve like an accompaniment accompaniment role which is much different than like the solo you know piano role so it has to like serve the song of course it can't be like this big flourishing thing and you have to obviously like serve the lead vocal as well so it, you know it's different um per song but I, I it's super fun to kind of think about this and we're talking about like the songs we want to do next and how we can like reimagine them and tailor them to the acoustic world so I'm yeah sure. well and on top of that i mean there's also acoustic like sanctioned acoustic versions that exist of a lot of these songs but what's cool i mean at least for anyone that's considering coming to the shows is we don't do 
like the straight acoustic version or the straight live version. Like a lot of them are fusions of both, you know? So like Corey will take elements from, you know, the acoustic version of Ricochet and, you know, pin it against us doing stuff that we actually do in the live show. And it's like, it's kind of a cool fusion of like bringing elements from both compositions and adding stuff and, you know, adding pauses or like different compositional changes that like can re- I ask like you something really well yeah what's it like to be in a band where you could play a song people recognize that song and then you can play 35 different iterations and people will recognize that those are different iterations of another song I mean I, I think yeah I think it's awesome and I think it just proves that they're really good songs I mean that's what's amazing about Dustin he's like such a brilliant songwriter and like Corey said that you know the compositions themselves are just so easy to adapt to acoustic settings because there's so much counterpoint you know like it does have that underlying symphonic element of like well, there's you know Dustin's sitting there he's like sitting there going okay we put the pandas in the cage you have Z over here who she certainly has that Slavic anger and she's going to come out with the ferocious arpeggios and well Siobhan's a little bit more demure but she'll figure it out and then well we threw Corey into the cage Ron we know is going to be fixing the bus in the back it's like <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny he actually gives us like a ton of freedom to do that like he never you know micromanaged any of those of parts. course he does he put a bunch of geniuses together why would <laughs> Dustin the singer tell you what to do when he has Siobhan who's go who went to university and, and, and like Z who was like doing marketing and other stuff and, and she comes to this country and they're like you can do it she's like I can and now she plays in front of tens of thousands of people like it's insane of course you guys are great like that's that's the greatest thing is that Dustin is the greatest delegator of all time. He finds people who are so mul- like you're the talent of your band. Like nevertheless, Adam, like the greatest marketing crazy, like always scheming, make them ask questions, you know, drum abusing guy. Like your whole band is a super group and it doesn't, you don't even have to play music. That's the genius of Dustin. <laughs> That's so funny way to put it. And I think, yeah, there's probably a lot of truth to that. Like, I know, for example, like we're not afraid to change keys on the fly, if, like it's serving like, like the vocals or something like that in some way. And I get stressed out in piano. I'm not that comfortable to just switch a half step. Like all my chord shapes are now different on the fly. I've never seen anyone do it faster than Siobhan. She's like, oh, we'll just do it a half step down or we'll do it like two steps up. Because like, <laughs> transposing is just going... No, it's different. There's open. It's different. It's different. But I'll say, though, that, that I mean, studying piano helped a lot because I know that like I have string player friends that really don't like that. And it's I, I guess it I just remember growing up taking Who piano lessons. Who likes that? Well, I like a challenge. I mean, I think it's fun when like it's like I've learned it in one key and it's like, oh, OK, you have to do that. It's almost like an ear training exercise. Yeah. You have to think of like intervals instead of like notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but I learned a lot of that from piano. I mean, I would do competitions growing up where part of the part of the test was you'd have to perform your piece and then you'd also be given something on the spot where you have to sight read it like four voices and then you have to transpose it to a key well, that they'll just call we out. Learned, we learned this with you because Corey, she flew across the country for Lost Symphony, <laughs> our band. And yeah. we had, no, she's like, do you have any music for any of this? And when we even showed her the music, she's like, this is, is this can't possibly work. This isn't even for a violin. This yeah. is like the cello. Yeah, we, just uh, printed so like, a, we printed the MIDI that was horribly <laughs> programmed. Yeah. So, Siob- <laughs> so we tell Siobhan to go in and we'd be like, layer number one. And then she just first take it. Layer yeah. number two. She would just first take it. But if you leave her to her own devices where she has to figure it out all those layers, she'll freak out. She'll send you like, here's 16 different things that you could possibly do. See <laughs> if you could cop them together. I saw this in real time. We were in Florida <laughs> recording the, the strings for Waiting on the Skies to Change, the single we did with Ben. And he, none of the string parts are really written. There was like loose ideas, but then he had like turned Z and Siobhan to just riff out ideas and like, what do you want to do in the verses? What do you want to do in the courses? And they just like idea after idea after idea for I was like six hours at least of like you guys burning through the track. And then basically like they picked and choose and like comped it as needed and they could layer it no problem. But it was cool to see like just on the fly writing those string parts, which which made it to the like the final version. Like they're still there, which is really cool. 
Yeah, yeah. That no, that was really cool. That was a cool thing. And it, poor Corey was like sitting in a chair the whole night because you know, of course, when it comes to recording strings, and it was a remote setup. We had this like house in uh, Pensacola, right? And you know, it took however many hours to just set up the different microphones and figure out like you know the challenges of how to turn two string players into a symphonic sound. You can't stand in the same place. We had to like rotate different positions and you know different mic placements and. So that was a bulk of the work too. Yeah, that song uh, is doing pretty well. Uh, I would say. Yeah, it is. I think it, Dustin was saying it's almost top ten on radio. I I haven't. Can, can you guys talk a little bit more about that? Like the, the you know the process of of kind of coming up with that's you know what you guys contributed and everything and uh, and what you were expecting going into it maybe. Yeah, so I mean, on my end, well, so the song existed uh, as a downplay song from many years ago, and obviously the the idea came up to do a collaboration with Ben, and a lot of people actually are asking this on tour when we do the questions, you know, how did that happen? Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of the recording actually happened on the road. We had uh, Joe Rickard was out helping produce and, you know, record everybody, and uh, yeah, just doing like sessions in and out every day. I don't know the exact schedule they were on, but uh, Dustin had suggested... You know, and we hadn't recorded strings before on uh, any of the albums. Two of them were out before I even joined the band. So I was super excited. I'm like, yeah, I would I would love to throw in some ideas. And basically it was like, oh, yeah, here's the song. Here's a couple ideas. And let's just do this day. We're going to go to this house. Joe's got his remote set up and, you know, just basically come to the table with some ideas. And Z and I kind of got together and played out some ideas that we had and just kind of went through that whole day like, through the song multiple times going back and forth getting ideas from Dustin Corey was there Joe was there and just we kind of hashed out the arrangement as we went like throughout that day it was all in one day that's awesome yeah. well, the songs first off congratulations because what a lot of people don't realize is that even though you're in the band it's one thing to be in the band and playing the, the songs live but it's another thing to be on the recordings and actually playing the song that you hear on the radio so I think I remember like there was a, a cover of Cashmere which is an amazing cover it sounds so damn good but like I think you were like it was your birthday or something and you're on like the Jumbotron in like New York City and everyone's like oh my god just I heard the new song it's so good and it has strings in it it's just not you. So so it's like, you know, you're you're the face of the band, you're an incredibly accomplished musician, you play it live, you kill it live, you represent it really well, but it's another thing to be like forever in the zeros and ones on that CD, you know, that people listen to over and over, you know, and and uh, no, it's, absolutely. it's I great. Mean, I no, it's it's awesome and I was so grateful that we were able to do it and that it actually ended up, you know, cuz my in expectation going in was like okay we'll have some ideas but maybe they won't like the sound because it is it's hard to take what is a symphonic cinematic sound and boil it down to two people recording in a room and somehow make that sound huge you know so I I completely understand the challenges yeah Yeah, the challenges that come with that you know and just having two parts you know it's it's one thing when you've got like five or six different sections and people are you the counterpoint like classical music is what makes things sound Massive, you know, but what's cool, of course, with technology is we can record an idea for a verse and then our second idea from the verse can go under that and suddenly it sounds twice as big, you know. Does, does Dustin ever come in and motivate you and just go like Mariko could do that? Because <laughs> she's no, so good. He, she's no, so good. Yeah, she's awesome. No, but he, I'll say he was like so incredibly good. supportive. I mean, he, I think he really enjoyed everything, but he's like, you know, he's amazingly specific with when he likes something or doesn't like something. And I think it helped that we, at least for me and him, I think I agreed every time when he didn't like something or when I didn't like something, he was like, yeah, I didn't really like that either. Let's try another version. So, you know, I think it was good to have been in the band for a period of time and know what it feels like to play the parts that make Star Set and then go in and work on a star set song knowing what the aesthetic is and like feeling it in your fingers like these are the rhythms that work this is the type of voicing that works and this is how the violin and the cello interact in all these other songs you know so it you're informed by that experience so i think it was a good time to come in and do it and it's really cool to hear your actual vibrato in the song. That's so yeah, cool. yeah, that's true. Yeah, there is. You hear it a little bit. <laughs> so it's not one of those things where Dustin's sitting there going, "Can you imitate the MIDI that this producer did in Tennessee?" <laughs> no, he was surprisingly hands off. Like, I mean, you know, he always gives his input and was there, like engaged the whole time. But it's you realize it, how big of a step this is, right? Like that he's letting you do this. He's doing a trust fall into you guys which is uh, it doesn't him relinquishing control doesn't seem like a very Dustin thing to do but I, I'm I'm impressed yeah I won't speak for him but <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know if oh, Corey has like anything said, to add, but he assembled a team. He's he's he. are he the dream team. Yeah. He, <laughs> well, that's part, of, that's part of the genius, you know, is like knowing what you want so specifically and being patient enough to find the people and trust the process that, you know, your vision is going to come to life. And that's what he's really good at. I think Adam's Dennis Rodman. <laughs> that's a sports thing. I don't understand what you mean. Yeah, definitely I, I'm not a sports head, guy at all, but de- there was the dream team in the 80s and 90s. And everyone knows it. That, that's like uh, that knows anything about sports, which I know very little. But Dennis Rodman had his hair all crazy colors and he was insane like Adam. So that's Oh, funny. see, when I think of the dream team, I think of the lawyers that defended O.J. Simpson. Didn't he have the dream, oh, dream team? Af- it was named after the, the yeah, like Michael yeah, Jordan I don't know and what Magic came first, Johnson. But- <laughs> yeah, sports not my thing either. <laughs> All right, well, well, I, I, I love that about you. Once again, falling off the rails at the perfect time to end part one. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, Corey, thank you so much. We'll continue in part two and hopefully get into some more nerdy stuff we can talk well, about. Gear where can we audio. hear some of your stuff? How can we find you, Corey? Can you please plug all Corey things? Oh, God. I mean... And I dump a bunch of dumb playing clip, clips on my Instagram all the time. That's probably a thing. I don't have like an official channel that I'm pumping out this well, stuff. Well, what's your Instagram? Tell everyone your user name and handle. C-O-R-Y-J-U-B-A. That's it. Perfect. Your I name wasn't taken. I don't know if I'm following taken. you, but, but I will right now. All right. So everyone follow Corey. Come see us on tour if you haven't yet. There are still tickets for the acoustic events. And... Um, Yeah, we'll see you in part two. Thank you so much for joining our crazy crew here on 2020. Like and subscribe at 2020-d.com. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 79 featuring Brock Richards of Starset. Check it out. (laughs) Brock, in the studio, what's your most combative experience when working on a project? Probably with me. <laughs> um, me, Al. Man, I don't know. Probably working with Siobhan. Yeah. <laughs> Did she ever go like, uh, you're playing in the wrong mode. You should have listened to your first teacher that first lesson. It's in the wrong mode. I mean, mode. in that case, and like people yell, like, so I'll like be in here like jamming, like doing whatever to whatever Spotify song I have playing. And I'll hear her yell across the house. That was the wrong note. I'm like, <laughs> fuck you, man. Like, <laughs> Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.